welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace, here again with Freya Spence, and we're coming at you live from the end of 2022. It has been a hot minute since we released a podcast, but we had some downtime here over the holiday break, and we thought we would get together for a little, I would say fireside chat, but a little couch side chat, I guess what we're going to have today. So uh, Freya, we're back. How have things been? They've been good. Yeah, I've been, been yeah, I've been there. Busy, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Sometimes there's shifts in the night. So, that is something exactly. people don't we realize. We live together, but yeah. sometimes we just don't really see each other. But we've been taking a little hiatus from the podcast to do some continuing education, and yeah, it just hasn't been a lot of time to get on here. But we had a few thoughts brewing in the old uh, noggin, and thought we would bring them forth today to chat with you guys. So, uh, on today's podcast, we're going to be discussing a few items such as confirmation bias, uh, the, the topic of pol- polarity, mm. i.e. black and white, good, bad, goal setting, end of the year, of course, and practice, which we'll end on because it's very important. So Freya, why don't we kick this off with uh, a little talk about confirmation bias and why we thought it was important to bring this to everyone's attention today. Um, well, so, I mean, I'm sure that it's a term that a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, you know, bias, at least, is a term that people are familiar with. And uh, really, the more frequently you see a thing uh, that already taps into something you think is true or believe might be true, or maybe you've just heard it so many times from friends, family, and otherwise, um, that, yeah, you just the more times you see it, the more it confirms your inherent bias and the more you might become resistant to an alternate idea. Uh, So, you know, Dane has experienced this. I have experienced this in our own physical practices, for example, where we thought you had to work out X number of times per week in a specific modality to get XYZ results. Um, And then, of course, we realized that, like, we were surrounded by people who lived and breathed that way of training, and there were actually other ways. It's funny that, the things you learn in your 20s. Um, but there were other ways of addressing it, and that you did not need to be like brutalized in the gym by your workout every time to get any sort of uh, results, whatever that is to, to you as a person. So that would be an example where you know you have a bias based on it can be based on, you know, factual learnings of like what begets strength or hypertrophy or whatever else you might be going for, joint health, mobility. Um, but then if you're surrounded by people who are also only seeing that way of doing things as well, it's, you know, that they're tapping into, and that's confirmation bias of your own biases. Um, they're tapping into the same narrative, and therefore it can be a little bit harder to sort of see your way out of it and, and become a little bit more flexible about how you approach whatever health topic is at hand. We're obviously uh, dealing with the scope of health today, so we're not talking about confirmation bias in other domains. We'll leave those alone. But um, one of the one of the big ones that has come about lately that we've seen is uh, water. So uh, you know the concept that oh, research shows you don't need to drink eight glasses of water. And on the one hand, yeah, sure. Research did show that, but also there's very little research. It's not like it's a massive body of evidence, and 
you cannot have a randomized controlled trial that accounts for every kind of human out there um, and every environment that they live in and age demographics um, will behave differently. So there are s- there's so much variability within us as humans that we have to take a lot of factors into account. But where this ties into confirmation bias <laughs> is all the people who um, don't like to drink water at all <laughs> Or like, ha, huh, see, I don't need to drink any. I get it from my food. And the, the problem there is that, like, they're looking for something to confirm the bias because they're like, I don't like the thing. But if you are thinking about, oh, yes, we all get it from our food, you also then have to consider, okay, is your food um, or are your food sources, rather, ones that do actually provide you with water? Um, because yes, technically everything has water in it, but so does, I mean, proteins in everything. You could eat a lot of kale and eventually you can get maybe enough protein. <laughs> Probably not before you blow up your guts. I don't want to see anybody <laughs> try that. So, but the point is like, you have to really look at the full context and it's like, are the foods that you eat actually providing you with that? Do you eat a lot of like vegetables and fruits and otherwise, or is it heavily processed? And, you know, we do need some water. And, I mean, good rule of thumb, of thumb, good rule of thumb. Rule of thumb. (laughs) Good rule of thumb is that, you know, if you're suffering from any degree of, like, delayed gastric emptying um, or constipation, you probably need a bit more water. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I I think, too, it's, it's just a way for us to keep, uh, keep up other habits. We're like, oh, well, I, I drink I drink coffee all day, and I drink, you know, whatever else. That's not uh, the kind of quality that you want. So there is also a difference. Yes, you can say, okay, total amount of water we can get from all these different sources, but then you also have to look at the quality of those sources and, and really ask yourself, okay, well, am I just trying to, you know, refute this need to drink water because I prefer drinking things that are, you know, perhaps not ideal for me if I'm if I'm realistic about it, especially when it contains things like caffeine um, or sugars or um, sugar alcohols or even stevia. Like, that'll rip your guts apart after a while, uh, even though it's a quote-unquote natural sweetener. So just, like, plain <laughs> good old water. <laughs> um, I get it. It's not super tasty to some people if they if their palates have been adapted to other things, but then they'll use things like, you know, research articles and people coming out in the media saying, oh, this one study proved this. Sure it did, but take the entire context into, into account and be honest with yourself. Because um, if you just don't want to because you don't want to, then great, but, but don't cite research <laughs> as <Yeah>. your <laughs> reason. And we've, we've mentioned this lots of times on the podcast too, and it's go back to your why. Like, what are you, what are you looking for? Is, you know, is it confirmation bias or just big, I want to be right. I want to be justified in my belief. Or are you actually trying to figure out a solution for something that's going wrong in your life, something that's happening with your body? Because water is one of those things that it can give you a lot of information. <laughs> like we were just talking about gastric emptying, for example. Like, do you have super dry skin? There's there's lots of different things that the body will give you information if you're dehydrated and you can just not want to drink water and find one research paper that says don't drink water and be completely satisfied, but continue to have the issues that you have with, you know, body digestion, that kind of thing. 
Or you can just ask the question of, hey, what if I experimented with water, whether I really like it or not? Maybe that research doesn't apply to me. If I do my own, you know, personalized research and actually say, hey, if I drink more water for a week, what happens? Do good things happen? Do bad things happen? If good things happen for you, then maybe you need more water. Uh, but if we're constantly just trying to be right or be justified in our own opinions or find the things that we just believe deep down in our core, whether or not they're truly correct for you on an individual level or not, that's when we can get into trouble. And the reason we're, I think we're noticing confirmation bias happening a lot more and more now is just with the pandemic, people have really fallen into their own really, into their own echo chambers. We, you know, hang up with the same people. We've gravitated more to certain media, social media, news, those kind of things. We're really in our, in our lane and we're not taking in as much information from all around as before. So I think we've really kind of, again, we're going to get onto the topic of polarity soon, and that kind of falls right into that silo too. But we're, we're seeing more and more of this confirmation bias and more of this polarity, I think, due to the pandemic. And hoping now that as we're, I think we're coming, <laughs> hopefully we're going to be on the other side of it at some point here. But it's uh, just to be a little bit more open-minded and try and take in all sorts of information and be you know, really objective about that um, and how it applies to you personally rather than just trying to be correct. And look, I, I will fully admit that um, there are there are a few people in, uh, like, who've, who've been clients of mine or friends of mine who have been over-consuming because there is another lane out there that says that you need to, like, detox your system with, like, three liters a day. And in the summer, I'll definitely have days where I'm drinking like three liters or so. Many of those also have electrolytes mixed into them. Um, and part of that is because I'm cycling for, actually it's probably closer to four liters, but I'm cycling for several hours in the heat. It's very different, like context. But on a day-to-day, we've had, you know, we have had some people who are drinking so much water that their body is likely leaching some pretty important vitamins. So again, is it we're, we're going to get to extremes as well. Um, so we're not saying eight glasses is correct. We're also not saying that like water from your food sources is correct uh, or solely from your, from your food sources um, because I think that there's just so much more context we need to apply to it. And, you know, for people who really don't drink water, I usually suggest that they start their day with just like 200 mils. Because sometimes it's it's that they have gotten out of touch with their their actual thirst signals, and so if we start the day that way, then generally speaking, their own body can figure out what they need, and we can you know take out all the calculations and, from it. And we are talking about two hundred milliliters of water, not two hundred milliliters of liquid, perhaps dark brown liquid. Yeah, that no, has caffeine I'm saying water. We're, we're saying water here because most a lot of people will start the day with just going right after the coffee, which again has tons of compounds. It's introducing a big stimulus to the body right away. So getting up, introducing the water, and seeing how your body responds to it. Just focus on that one morning action, and then see what signals your body gives to you for the rest of the day. Yeah, and uh, to sort of circle back, circle back, we're going to circle back to that, uh, circle back to Dane's comment about the, the, the sort of media we consume um that's where yeah we obviously do have to make sure that even if it says on somebody's social media profile that they have a phd that doesn't mean that they have a phd in the topic that they're currently speaking to um and and so it's not to like negate the effort that went into them getting a phd 
it's to understand are they speaking to something that they are a subject matter expert in or, or not. Um, and, you know, the same thing goes with MDs. Uh, NDs, MDs, chiros, trainers, etc. Like, we need to just make sure where our, our lane is and where their expertise lies. And this is something where we've seen a lot of people say that they did their research. And I know that <laughs> over the last few years, a lot of uh, memes have come about of I've done my research and then critique. But we will, uh, I will say that unless you've looked at multiple studies that both confirm what you're looking for and, and negate. Now, that's a whole other topic. It's actually harder to find published studies that showed no result, um, which is a problem. But unless you've looked at many studies and you've looked at the methods, not just like the conclusion, and you've understood the methods, <laughs> um, then it's very hard to, like, you, you just shouldn't base any of your actions off of one research study. And and honestly, the researchers that we've spoken to would never advise that either, even if it was their published study. Um, and this is where we do find there are a lot of problems is because people are reading about inflammation, for example. And um, I took a course last year in epigenetics, and it was fascinating. I took another one that um, was similar that I'm drawing a blank on. But suffice it to say... I'm not an expert in those things. I have a working understanding, and I can read the research papers, but I also know what, like, I can't critique those methods because I don't know what the <laughs> lab experiments should look like. Whereas if you give me a paper that's more in the realm of, like, you know, exercise as medicine, then I'm very comfortable understanding all aspects and critiquing or, or thinking critically about how they went and designed that experiment. So this is one of the really tricky things is that when it comes to evidence-based anything, action or practice, if we don't have a working understanding of like the the like nitty-gritty of how that research was done, it, it is really hard to say you've done your research and take action based on one study's like conclusion or abstract. And we would definitely encourage people not to do that but we find a lot more of that has been happening in the last years. And, and on the one hand, I think it comes from people wanting to be empowered, which I think is fantastic. And, I mean, that is something that we stand for with Move Daily is you try to empower people to understand the roots to everything um, that they're trying to achieve so that they can make their best decisions. But it is something to be careful of. Is like one study will not be enough. Um, even, you know, a systematic review will always tell you what kind of quality the studies that they reviewed are like, and even those have <laughs> various quality issues. But if you don't understand the methods of a paper and then understand how to think critically about them, it is worth speaking to a professional um, who, who is or otherwise who is a subject matter expert in that specific subject I think that this is how a lot of supplements are sold that are actually kind of garbage is because they're like oh this one study proved this but they don't people don't realize oh the study was in eight mites mice that had knockout genes for xyz and lived in a lab it's like <laughs> there's a lot of context missing there um so yeah, it's just something to be aware of. We'll, we'll dive into supplements a little bit more later too. Um, but quickly on the, the, the topic of expertise, again, it's really important 
to know when you're listening to somebody, especially on social media, especially if they have a PhD or whatever, understand what their field of research was in. And if they're speaking about something else, take it with a grain of salt, right? Expertise is something that is gained over years and years and years. And experts make mistakes. Experts make mistakes all the time. That's how they become experts because they're constantly researching and learning all the time. And so even with this pandemic, a lot of people have lost faith in experts, you know, because there's been a lot of stuff going on and a lot of uncertainty that people didn't necessarily know exactly what was happening. And again, experts who we have to trust are doing their best to provide us with the best information. Sometimes they make mistakes, but and sometimes they have an agenda. Sometimes they have an agenda and that's where this gets like really, really muddy. But you do have to really pay attention on social media that, you know, you're not listening to an expert on topic A because that's what they were right on the first time and they gave good information and then they started talking about all this other stuff. It's like, mm. Mm. well, watch it. And even if like a, a personal trainer has 20 years of expertise, it doesn't. Experience it, and expertise it, are not the exact same thing. <laughs> It, it still doesn't, uh, yeah, doesn't justify them from like pushing supplements or anything like that. And um, we do also have to be aware of where there are over like generalizations, and um, it's really like it's proof in the form of correlation, even though it's not proof at all. So if you look at, you're going to be bombarded by health articles in the next while mm -hmm. uh, online in the newspapers is the new year it's, it's unfortunately what happens or fortunately I don't know but you know we saw an article the other week on how to prevent low back pain now low back pain affects upwards of 80 percent of the population over here in North America and uh, I don't know what the stats are in other parts of the world but I would hedge my bets that countries that have more sedentary jobs um, like we do would also be pretty high up there. And they were talking about the 10, you know, it's always like the five top ways to fix this or the 10 top ways to make sure you never have back pain. And one of the top five was, um, was drink vitamin D fortified milk, which was fascinating. Um, and so I had to read, I was like, tell me, how is milk going to help anyone's back? And so they were saying that in in um, review studies, so not yeah, not like intervention based studies, uh, like survey based studies, observational ones, uh, where you ask people questions and they they give you their answers based on their best ability to recall what they had for lunch ten years ago, kind of thing. Um, and they decided that, or they found that people had generally had low vitamin D status. This was like survey-based and, and clearly some blood work was done. So they had lower levels of vitamin D than the people who did not have uh, back pain or episodic back pain. And um, the challenge there is they then decided that, oh, well, it must be vitamin D. I would see a completely different pathway to where if somebody has episodic back pain, and low vitamin D, it's quite possible that they are not getting up and outside and moving as much. And the outside world is where we top up our vitamin D, especially in the summer and going into the fall. So rather than drinking fortified milk, the solution would be to take a straight D supplement and get up and move more. But instead, this article decided that fortified milk was a good way to go. Um, 
And, you know, we know that there are many other benefits to getting up and moving, especially when it comes to low back pain. So low vitamin D is, is correlated, but is absolutely not a causative factor of that. So that's kind of where media will always take whatever is going to sensationalize it. And um, truthfully, I'm sure a lot of people would rather hear just drink some milk versus like get up and move every 30 minutes. And I understand that. But also, let's be realistic about it. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> and that kind <laughs> Thank you for that confirming. Is, that is correct. <laughs> no, and again, we'll, we'll get into some of the supplemental stuff later. And but the vitamin D, for example, as a supplement. Um, but now this kind of segues us a little bit into the topic of polarity and good and bad, right? Um, and so even like milk, good or bad, a lot of people will be like, milk is bad. And a lot of people will be like, Oh, because good. This is me doing the good and bad um, for anybody who can't uh, see the video. <laughs> I think you're supposed to do like quarter turns. Quarter like, turns? That's like a comedic technique. Like over here yeah. I'm one person and over yeah. here I'm another person. Yeah. That's fair. Okay, yeah. I'll work on that for next time okay. for our, our viewers. Yes. Uh, do a better job. Sorry, everyone. All right, onwards. Onwards we march. But good and bad, as much as it's simple in the human brain really craves it because it does make our decisions really easy when we put things into silos of good and bad. When we do that, especially when it comes to food, we want to put that, talk about food, for example, because good and bad is a really common thing, especially around this time of the year. People are like, you know, chocolate or treats are bad. Alcohol is bad. I mean, carbs are bad. What do you want to talk about? Like those things, you know, it really gets amplified this time of the year. And when that happens, inevitably guilt and shame and all these negative emotions creep in when you do give in, quote unquote, bunny ears to eating that food because you have now labeled it as bad. And so if that food is bad and now you're having it, now you are bad. Now you've done something bad. Now maybe you need to go get a workout in to make up for it because workouts are good. Again, bunny ears. And you can see how this whole thing perpetuates. So polarity is... The more we can get away from polarity, the more grounded we're going to be, the more at ease we'll be with these kind of negative emotions that can creep in because we're not setting up these black and white rules that are completely subjective and not based on any factual information. So any type of decision, especially a food decision, I mean, good or bad, sure, it's everything exists on a spectrum. So if you take a food, again, take chocolate, frequency of chocolate, portion size, you know, what did you eat with that chocolate? What time did you eat that chocolate? What was your emotional state going into eating that chocolate? There's a lot of factors that are going to impact how well that one individual choice is um, going to be quote unquote good or quote unquote bad for you. It's a very much a sliding scale thing. And so when you can exist on this sliding scale and that that will help you keep these like negative emotions out of those choices so that you remain a little bit more level-headed a little bit more self-compassionate and can go into your choices without having you know emotions run the show you're like oh okay like that's if i overeat something i'm gonna feel like crap cool not make a good choice maybe i can make it a little bit better by eating a little bit less or by having something else with it that i feel really good about and and that's where we go from setting these harsh black and white rules that don't really work to kind of setting up some personal boundaries and just making a conscious choice around food based on how it's going to make you feel versus if it's good or bad from an emotional state I think in the past, the last 50-odd uh, episodes of the podcast, we have touched on the fact that health is often viewed as a spectrum 
to where optimal health is like on this end over here and then disease state and illness are all the way over there and um, I think health can be defined very differently uh, depending on the culture you're in depending on uh, the age group you're in depending on even your own personal endeavors and biases and beliefs etc I'm not saying I'm not saying that biases are bad I'm just saying that is uh, how we would that would influence the way we describe it but I think because our definition of it can evolve so much throughout the course of our lives as well and needs to and that many different states can be healthy uh, it, it's much more like a sphere and so if we just accept that it's a sphere versus like one single linear thing I think this also taps into we've spoken about age and how people just think that aging means it's like this straight decline and um, it's the same concept of really it's just things change as shocker things change um as as we age but it doesn't you know if we understand all of the various aspects that make up health particularly in our environment and body etc then we have a much better handle on being flexible and sort of mastering those gray zones versus um, being harsh and and shooting ourselves with black and white uh viewpoints and so um Another, you know, one one thing that we do see a lot, or I do see a lot, working with the hypermobile population is that based on what is viewed online is a lot of people with a connective tissue disorder end up sort of gaslighting themselves because they think, well, okay, but I'm not as bad as that person, um, so I mustn't, I don't have the right to be, you know, <laughs> upset about my current body's experience uh or it maybe maybe they're wrong and so there's a lot of I know the word of the year was gaslighting but essentially it, c it can amount to that instead of understanding that you know again it, health is a sphere and how we address all the various points of health in in accordance with our specific context will look different than somebody else's and um, anytime we see black and white extremes out there every single person with hypermobile elbows has to internally rotate and micro bend and it's like okay well that even that something as simple as that is is so um, black and white to leave no wiggle room no pun intended for all my uh, fellow wiggly people and so it's just you know Anytime you see a population that you are a part of, you're like, yes, I'm in my 60s and this person is also in their 60s or I have this condition and this person also does. But anytime you see something that's that's really, really black and white versus nuanced, because nuanced isn't sexy. Nuanced doesn't create sound bites. Nuanced isn't something you can sell in a bottle and um, or otherwise and so uh, it tends to get less uh, you know less attention but anytime you see something that is not nuanced you know take it with a hefty grain of salt or just stop reading it or just realize that it might be perfect for that person's context and not for yours yeah um and, and with the health and wellness piece i think it's more about you know which direction are you going right because at any age at any moment in life you can be declining in health or you can be advancing in health. 
And there's many, a myriad of factors that will impact that, but it's all, you know, it all depends on our own personal circumstances. And if we stop thinking of things as a black and white and that, you know, once we're a certain age, it's just going to go to hell anyway, that can give us a lot more agency over our actions and over our outcomes, which is again, a big theme of this entire podcast. I think we've mentioned that a million times now, but it's an ongoing thing that we try and help people understand is that you the mindset and where you, how you perceive things is really going to impact your ability to take action on the things that matter most to you. And so especially this holiday season into January, when you're like, I'm going to give up alcohol for a month. I'm going to give up coffee, gluten, sugar. You know, it's a very polarized thing to do to give up all these things. But like, you know, nobody's going to care if you like, I'm giving up guacamole for the month. I'm giving up tea for the month. It's like, you know, you take away judgment out of all these things and think, why am I giving this thing up? And if you have a really, if you have a gut feeling or really deep feeling that you should, you know, pump the brakes on alcohol or your sugar intake, gluten, name it, whatever it is, if you feel that's something that's going to benefit you, again, go back to your why. Why are you doing this? Is it to meet the 30-day challenge that, you know, social media told you to do? Or are you actually going to try and make a permanent change? And if you are making a permanent change, does it make sense to totally give up something altogether? Or is it just to put a boundary around it and start small and and move forward from that point? Um, Because if you're just doing it to meet a 30-day thing and you're just white-knuckling it till the very end, you've already got it in your head that you're going to start doing that thing again. And we're creatures of habit. So as soon as you get back into the habit of doing what you did you're going to be intaking that thing in the same frequency, same dosage as before, and you'll be no further ahead than you were 30 days ago. Mm-hmm. And the thing, like, with some of the challenges is that sometimes they can be beneficial to help get the ball rolling Absolutely. for some people as long as they also have an exit strategy from it. So to Dane's point of, like, just just white-knuckling your whole way through to say you did it, but then taking up the same habits, I'm not sure that that achieves much. It certainly doesn't achieve much in a long-term health perspective. Whereas if somebody were to say, actually, you know what, I've been consuming alcohol too frequently. I'm just using that as an example. Um, I'm only going to have it on Saturdays. I'll have, you know, one glass with dinner or something. The person who adopts that may start to realize how good they feel, and may decide that that is actually, you know, what they would like to continue doing uh, onwards with exceptions here and there in accordance with life, or they might decide, you know what, I really don't need it. Uh, I was using it just because it was habitual and I enjoyed it, but you know what, I actually sleep a lot better. Uh, These are things that we've heard, by the way, that's why I'm using them as examples. I actually sleep a lot better without, so I'm just going to save it for special occasions. That's just one example. Same thing with coffee, like, Going white knuckling thirty days um, can be really rough for some people who've built a dependency, and you're basically, you know, just accepting that you're going to feel really sick. But you could also do it by like titrating it off. Uh, you could also do it by having, ensuring that you only have like one first thing and don't have that afternoon thing. There's so many ways is what we're trying to get at that we'd rather people take a very long-term view of it. Uh, We're not opposed to people taking out stimulants or things that are more inflammatory that we know will interrupt sleep, that we know will reduce their recovery, but we don't encourage people do it just as like a a one-off cold turkey 
uh, harsh way of doing it. Unless, like, there there are like two people I have in my mind in my entire <laughs> uh, history or, or of my career that really thrive on that because then they also take it and continue. But that it takes a specific personality type. More people are successful when they take a long term view and. 30-day challenges tend not to fit in with that unless mm. they also have a long-term view to back it up. And the same thing is uh, the same thing is true with movement, right? Like recently, oddly enough, I don't know why, we've heard uh, through several clients that not just one, the first time it happened, I was like, oh, that's very strange and, and very extreme. But then we heard through other clients that um, doctors were telling them that they had to get, had to, uh, 30 to 60 minutes of cardio straight through in a row and otherwise it wasn't worth it and um, one of them even said it had to be 60 minutes done every single day for a total of seven hours a week or else it wasn't worth it full hour of cardio in a row or it does nothing and and so I think that you know when we present people with extremes like that first of all that's not I don't understand. I, I've tried to think about these things it, from a like cardiovascular standpoint, from a like a systems conditioning standpoint. I've tried to figure out why that is the only strategy um, that's being given and the only strategy that's acceptable. I've tried to figure that out, and I, I don't understand it in the context of these few people are all very, very different uh, age-wise, background-wise, etc. And I, I cannot rationalize it based on everything I do know. Um, and, you know, if you would like to go back and look at some really interesting research, go back to the podcast with Martin Gabala in it and read his book. And you'll see that there are so many ways to address uh, systemic conditioning and affect blood markers positively. Uh, affect athletic performance positively it just doesn't make sense um, but you know when when those extremes happen what happens usually is that people take a fatalistic view because they're like well I can't do that so what's the point whereas if we could have a conversation with someone and say look it's very important for you to get condition like cardiovascular conditioning because conditioning can apply to strength it can apply to specific tissues so that word is not specific but if we say cardiovascular conditioning to take care of your heart and your lungs and your circular, circulatory system, um, here are the different ways that it can be done in the context of your life. That person is more likely to actually get it done and to keep it up, especially in the winter when the modalities that people use, like going for brisk walks and things like that, tend to be a little bit more limited. I would love to have... Uh, options for someone that they can do outside, that they can do indoors, and that sort of fit within what they enjoy. Um, so it is one of those weird things that, like, you can hear extremes from every every professional. We've heard extremes from every professional. We've probably said some extremes ourselves. I'm sure of it. Back in the day, of like, mm -hmm. this is the way it has to be. Yep. Um, but we know so much more now that I would rather, you know, even if somebody can't get to 100% of the specific goal uh, right away. I'd rather that they at least get 50% because they can be consistent with it and then we can build from there versus just being like, this is your only way of doing it, get it in, and then what? Like, it's just not, it's not fair. I would, I've done that too when somebody told me that I needed to meditate for at least 30 minutes a day and I was like, cool, well, 
for me, <laughs> that means I'm not going to do it at all. <laughs> so we're going to have to find an in-between because I don't respond well to, especially when schedules are really busy and I'm, you know, doing my very best to take care of brain, body, and, and everything else, um, that to tell me that I have to for at least is, uh, and I'm like motivated to do these things. And yet that is still going to shut me down and be like, Oh, well, what's the point if, if it's not even worth it, if it's five minutes, then I guess I may not. Uh, but again, we know, we know the opposite to be, to be true. Indeed. And that, I mean, that's a nice little segue right into the goal setting part of this discussion, Freya. There you go. Way to go. Way to go. <laughs> way to be, duck. Yeah, way to be, um, duck. In life, I'm everyone's caddy. Parks and Rec. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, so so we, we aren't going to talk about SMART goals. Uh, we have spoken about SMART goals. There's so a podcast on There that. is an entire podcast on that, on uh, the pros and cons of every step of a SMART goal. Um, Something that we wrote about at one point was remembering that whenever you're setting a goal for yourself, uh, it is very helpful. There's research to show it's very helpful to do to practice mental contrasting. So to go through the process, say your goal is to, I don't know, uh, exercise four times a week. Mental contrast, mental contrasting. Sorry, uh, is where you you know, plan where you might find the time to do that within your week. And then also picture the things that might get in the way and how you will problem solve around that. Sounds simple, but a lot of people go into January 1st um, glossy-eyed and motivated possibly by guilt or shame or or otherwise some positive things like there's a, I don't know, trip coming up that they really want to be able to do hikes on or something. Uh but it's really important to take away the glossy-eyed stuff and and just practice a little bit of mental contrasting of like, ooh, what might come up with work? What might come up with, I don't know, my personal life? What might come up elsewhere? Uh, what might get in the way equipment-wise or weather-wise, uh, depending on your goal? And when you know what your alternate routes are to still get to the same endpoint, even if you have to quickly divert or, or pivot, um, you tend to do a lot better. Yeah, and always be ready to, you know, mental contrasting, use it, but be prepared that there may be obstacles that you weren't ready for. Um, I'm thinking of a client in particular who he was like, you know, I'm probably not going to go to the gym unless I, you know, put my shoes out or my clothes out the night before. I've heard that's a habit that helps. So we did that. Still didn't go. That wasn't enough. He had to sleep in his gym clothes. That's what got it? Because he woke up and he was in his gym clothes and he's like, well, all right, well, I'm already dressed. Might as well just hop on the treadmill and get this over with. So be prepared. You can plan. Use mental contrasting. It's an amazing tool. But always be ready that there could be an objection and you just have to persevere and be ready for that to get to the, uh, the end zone, goal line. The, I was just like totally action blanked out. To the action? The action. Like your own action? Yeah, exactly. So That's that it. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. My brain was just like, oh, there's a cardinal outside. Cool. Right. <laughs> plastic bag, plastic bag. Dane. <laughs> anyway, did you know that weight loss won't make you happy? That's the next thing that I had written on my computer to talk about. And just in regards to goal setting, people are always, I'm going to lose weight. That's the goal. And that's fantastic. If you want to set a goal for weight loss, uh, great. If you feel like you're overweight, you don't feel good, 
that's a wonderful thing to do for yourself. It's something that I'm sure will help a lot of people. But the thing that I'm realizing that I have realized um, year over year is that people think that losing weight is going to make them happy. And I'm here to tell you weight loss as a goal in itself is not going to make you happy. As a matter of fact, achieving a goal is not really going to make you happy. Even I think about athletes, you win the championship, you get happy for like that moment. And then guess what? Then you have to start the process all over again. It starts going. Life happens. There's stress, all these types of things. So when it comes to weight loss, yeah, you'll feel good and accomplished if you lose that 10 pounds. But if you were miserable every day trying to get to that, you didn't like the process of having to get there, what do you think the odds are that you're going to continue to do those things to maintain the weight loss that you just had? Odds are you're not going to continue because when, if the goal of the weight loss was, I'll, I'll be happier, my life will be better if I lose this weight, and you get there and you're like, I still feel the same, it's the exact same thing, that's not going to be a motivating place to be. So when you're thinking about losing weight, if that's the goal that you're setting for yourself, think about what about weight loss is going to be beneficial to you. What is going to make you happy? What's going to make your life better? If you can picture your day-to-day, what's going to be better about that when you've lost that weight? And then think about, okay, what's a, an action I can take that will contribute to that, not only to the weight loss, but to me feeling good. So finding joy in the day-to-day, finding joy in that process is going to be a huge component to making sure that this is sustainable over time. So just know that weight loss is totally an okay goal. Um, I think we have, a, we have a, an article on the blog about why weight loss might not be the best goal for people because a lot of people set that goal and there's lots of things to think about if that's where you're going. But at the end of the day, just know that that in and of itself is not going to make you happy Think about what it means to you on a more tangible level and focus on actions that are going to get you to that place. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that, like, you can... This isn't even looking at, like, the real markers of health. Like, your gravitational pull is not the penultimate... Um, did I say that right? That penultimate, weird. sure. Yeah, sure. Weird. Anyway, sometimes words. words come out and I'm like, wait a second... Um, but, but really it isn't, it's, it is consistently held up as the Holy Grail and we just know that it, it isn't. And, um, it's because it's easy to measure. People love it because you can just hop on a little scale, which is an invention we created and you see the number every day so you can track it. It's easy to track, but it, it doesn't give people what they think it does. As a matter of fact, it often plays the opposite because it will make you feel really bad about yourself if you're doing something you enjoy, i.e. eating foods you like or you know, having a relaxing weekend and then you get on Monday and suddenly you're a little bit heavier, it backfires. So anyway. Um, on, the, on the topic of other goals, uh, do make sure that they are, they are realistic to your, the season that you are in, depending on the country you live in. <laughs> And uh, the season of life you are in uh, as well. Because, you know, for here, for example, we've spoken about this before, so I won't dive into it too much, but it's going into winter here. And so we typically see the neck pain, shoulder pain, hip and low back pain, and, and even um, like ankle stiffness more so than pain come into play. But sometimes foot pain too, based on people's boots. And a lot of that is, you know, related to going out in the cold, looking down at our, you know, steps to make sure that we don't slide on ice and like hunched up against the cold, things like that. 
And so, you know, the, the movement practices that we have throughout our day and our week, our mobility work or warm-up work, those sorts of daily practices, and I am delineating delineating them from exercise and training and working out, those daily movement practices will shift compared to summertime, compared to even the fall. And so we have to understand that, you know, if we're more flexible about our routine, we tend to do better as we shift seasons. And of course, that also is dependent on the the season of life that we're in. And as we go, but that's a, that's a longer one, longer trajectory one. And, um, also just saying like, we all, it's something that I often remind clients of around now, because they're, if you're over 30, (laughs) most of us become more aware, although definitely some of my young, younger clients too, become aware of more discomfort and more pain around the season. And it's actually that much more important to move. And sometimes that discomfort is what causes people to stop moving, but the reason they're experiencing discomfort, and this is not for everyone, uh, this is for some people, (laughs) Um, the reason that they are already experiencing discomfort is they are not moving as much as they did in the other seasons. So like in the summer and fall, even the spring, a lot of people just generally do a lot more. And so in winter, if you start to notice that there's a cyclical pattern to it, it's like, oh, yeah, my back's really achy in the winter and it wasn't so much in the summer. Um, Those are things to pay attention to because it just means that you may need to bolster what you're doing in the wintertime and you have permission to move because that may help you move out of it. Yes, and that kind of brings us into our final topic, Freya, which is practice. We kind of alluded to this at the very beginning of the podcast. Um, Again, movement something you can practice that's going to give you an outcome. And at the end of the day, I think that's the message is what we practice most often is going to deliver us to our outcomes. Um, I think sleep is a good topic that we can start on with this because there's a lot of, I don't know, misinformation out there or misbelief out there Mm -hmm. um, about sleeping. And one of the things I hear very often is that alcohol helps me sleep. Um, I can't sleep unless I've had a drink. It puts me to sleep. Um, and while I understand that alcohol can help people fall asleep, um, alcohol is a downer and then it's an upper. So while it makes you sleep, then it's actually going to raise your heart rate and your body temperature while you sleep. And so it's going to impair your ability to get into the sleep cycles that you want to. And that's why with alcohol, you're, you're never going to end up getting the full sleep cycles that you want and get that restorative sleep overnight. So it's hard as a human to, to figure, okay, here's my, here's my action, and this helps me achieve the other action of sleep. And if I lose that, then I'm going to lose sleep as well. Um, and so it can be very difficult to make that transition, but if alcohol is one of those things that you find helps you wind down at night, just know that there are other practices that you can put in place that are going to help you wind down and actually get that restorative sleep that you want but it's first understanding that if you don't feel awesome, you feel like you're not getting enough sleep, that alcohol is going to be an important piece to have the alcohol earlier, lower the dose. Again, it's not a good, bad, like just totally get rid of it. There's other things that you can do. (laughs) I'm like day drink. It's a little aggressive. Don't drink at work. But the earlier you have the alcohol, the more it'll be out of your system by the time you do get to sleep 
So if it's something that you really do enjoy, maybe having that drink before dinner rather than after dinner where it's going to have that impact. So again, not good, bad, or polarity, but understanding if sleep is the practice that you're trying to improve, objectively, you do need to look at what substances are you putting into your body in the hours before sleep, what stressors are you, you know, presenting to your head, whether that's social media or even exercise or um, stress with, you know, work, doesn't matter what it is, but it's to look at all those inputs that are happening in the hours before sleep and making adjustments where you see fit as to what might be impacting you on an individual level the most. Well, and I'm not going to lie. If you're having a drink every night, your sleep is screwed up every night. Yeah. I mean, again, there's no, we can't. Dinner, it might yeah. be okay. But mm, like. Probably not. Depends on when you go to sleep and when you have dinner. Most people have dinner very late. So yeah. It might be it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely. Yeah. Again, individualized. <laughs> uh, but I do think that a lot of people um, are for whatever reason, afraid of giving that up. And I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we go back to the guacamole thing. Like nobody cares if Dane was like, I'm giving up guacamole. Nobody cares. But if he says he's giving up, you know, any alcohol consumption immediately, everyone's like, are you judging me? And that's kind of the, that's sort of what we're trying to get at with this entire process is like, you know, try not to vilify things, but like, do be honest about what they are. Like alcohol is a, poison right so your body has to metabolize it a certain way and that nobody is special and can like be a fast metabolizer of it you know with caffeine we do have some people who are faster metabolizers so if they have one in the afternoon they are they're very much not affected in their sleep but very very few people are also that um and so you know the other the other aspect of sleep there's a children's book that's called uh am i allowed to swear on our podcast you absolutely are Okay, well, I'm quoting the title of the book. It says, Go the Fuck to Sleep. And I actually think it needs to be rewritten. So maybe I'll send this to the author, send a le- letter to the author. I think it actually needs to be rewritten for adults. So the, in, the book, if you know it, um, it might, that might be because you have children, is, you know, <laughs> a parent's exhaustion at why they, the kid is not going to sleep. But I think that a lot of adults need that too because we have so many things that we can procrastinate with. And um, because so many of us are on screen so late, we know that that's quote unquote bad. It's, it's wakeful. So if you are trying to sleep and you are partaking in an activity that is wakeful, then you're going to have a hard time. This is just like if you go out and do hill sprints at 9 p.m., that's a wakeful activity. Yes, we can say it's health promoting, but it is not sleep promoting. So again, we're just trying to... like help people make educated choices here but one of the things is that uh a lot of a lot of people just give up the practice they don't realize that sleep is actually a practice and so they think oh well i've always slept poorly okay well have your sleep sort of have us in behaviors and wakeful activities close to sleep like eating a meal close to sleep eating a meal after 7 p.m eating uh, drinking alcohol after like 4 p.m um on a regular basis like those sorts of things and are you on screens right up until you turn off your light those are wakeful activities so yes maybe you've attributed yourself to being a bad sleeper or a light sleeper but there may be certain things that you've been partaking in for long enough to you know have the pattern of not sleeping well but patterns are there for us to to break and um 
I usually try to like <laughs> encourage people to be curious. What would happen if you turned all your screens off? We're old enough to know what life was like before screens, um, even before like most of my peers didn't have TVs in their bedrooms and stuff like that. Like there was one family computer and that was a huge deal. Um, so we clearly got by just fine. <laughs> I used to read until the, the light. I loved the summer too because it would stay light out longer. And so I would just read until I could literally not read anymore. Um, but that's a, that's a sleepy activity, <laughs> um, not a wakeful activity. Screens are definitely one of the biggest culprits for people. And, you know, I also um, just encourage people not to let technology babysit their nervous system and if we are constantly sort of seeking refuge and trying to unwind quote-unquote unwind from the day utilizing screens um then we are being babysat if there is a scroll happening in whatever you are watching or reading like that's you know something where you can lose track of time and so I go full circle back to the book of like go the F to sleep and uh, keep practicing that and figure out how to not partake in wakeful activities right before sleep. Because yes, you can stay on your screens until you feel like your eyes are bleeding. And I have a lot of empathy for that because having had a lot of insomnia and nightmares, sometimes you're like kind of afraid to go to sleep because you just, you know, you need it, but you also know that it's sometimes horrible. Um, but I also find that it is a state of mind. It is a decision to like get our brains back in our bodies and not dissociate through that process by just, um, letting screens sort of take over and bringing ourselves out of our bodies. I love that you censored yourself the second time. Well, then I was just speaking the first time I was saying the title of the book. I don't know. (laughs) I don't swear a lot. (laughs) That's true. Neither do I. Sure. Sure. Cool, 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 cool. Cool, 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 cool. But yeah, and that just kind of goes just to kind of tie a little bow around that thought. Uh, a lot of us will I- identify in a certain way. So yeah, I am a bad sleeper, as, again, as an example. And, or I am someone who has a drink at the end of the day. Like a lot of these things get tied into who My we are. wine. My wine. What? My wine, yes, exactly. And again, when it becomes a piece of our identity, we become very reluctant to believe we can have agency over the process but again we are what we practice so if you are a bad sleeper and you have always been a bad sleeper start thinking about okay well how have I always approached my sleep have I ever given myself a sleep routine you know have I ever thought about what I do in the hours before bed have I ever thought about my mornings and like how consistent I am with my wake-up times and light exposure and those things as well. There's so many pieces that tie into sleep. Sleep is an outcome based on the actions you take throughout your day. So again, this is you are what you practice. And when it becomes an identity piece, it gets a little slippery. I will also add sleeping for eight hours straight every night is just not something that every person does. No. Being horizontal for that time um, is still really beneficial. And we were chatting to a a good friend of ours about that, um, who also has had a lot of wakefulness at night. And I think that uh, for me personally, when I was able to just like stay calm throughout, you know, two to four hours of wakefulness in the night, uh, meaning I was wide awake, when I was able to stay calm and regulate my breathing, I actually felt 
pretty okay the next day. It's if I was anxious about it and like, oh, I've got to get up at such and such an hour. I only have this many more hours. That was so detrimental. And not only that, when I used, I started using a sleep tracker a few years ago and realized, oh yeah, the breathing thing works because me just lying there in the dark and just accepting that that's where I need to be. I don't get up and turn on screens because then you're messing up your whole circadian rhythm. Um, and you'll get really, really tired at like 9 a.m. But I found out that my sleep tracker thought I was in light stages of sleep that whole time. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. So clearly I'm able to regulate to a point where my body is still getting enough restorative time, which is what the point is. Um, It's when we have an idea of what perfect sleep should be. And again, this goes back to polarity and black and whites. Everybody is different. Like, Dane, if he woke up once, he would get so annoyed because he loved his nine hours of unbroken sleep. But again, he had to shift mentally because he could get up grumpy and and realize that, like, he was grumpy because he was awake for all of 60 seconds. So we need to shift perspective and realize I can be awake for many hours and I'm at peace with it. Also knowing that my sleep's changed throughout a month you know, I'll have weeks where uh, those insomnia nights are, are much more frequent, but I also know that at some point they will, I will sleep straight through as well. And um, the, the benefit of lying in a dark room and breathing is huge um, and remaining comfortable. And Dane, same way, wakes up in a much better mood because he's not judging his sleep performance every morning. Yeah, and that's something we've spoken about quite a bit lately. And something I'm noticing about myself is really, and I think it goes back to like toddlers as well, is that when the expectation is set correctly and you know what to expect in any given situation, your mood will tend to be a lot better because there's no surprises, there was no like letdown, there was no judgment. When you know what was you know, supposed to happen and then you execute according, you feel really good about it. So that's the thing with sleep. If you're, you, know, you don't identify as a great sleeper and you're always going for eight hours, but you've never really gotten six, don't set the expectation you're gonna just get eight. Get, try and get six consistently. But if you get to six and a half, what do you get to seven? Set that expectation based on your experience, and then you'll have a lot more self-compassion throughout that process, and it'll make it a lot easier. All right, well, I think we should start wrapping up here. So before we did that, Freya, I think we wanted to mention a few books. Mm-hmm. So the one that I will mention right away is called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Ank- Aker, I think, Sean Aker. And uh, that's one that I, I started listening to via ebook and then had to buy the hard copy because, or actually, I, I was gifted the hard copy on request uh, because it's a very impactful book. Uh, I guess it, it ties into a lot of things we, we spoke about today, especially the weight loss piece. But in a nutshell, uh, the summary of that really would be that um, happiness does not come from success, but success comes from happiness. So it's really about harnessing joy day to day and how that can positively impact all the things that you want to do in life and uh two books for me the first one is called widen the window and uh i have done a fair bit of reading in the and i think a lot of us have (laughs) in the realm of of um trauma and illness etc And Wide in the Window was recommended by a good friend, and it is excellent in part because it is, I think it conceptualizes it uh, in a way that 
a broader subset of people can start to understand why their nervous system nervous system is reacting a certain way, but also that that can be retrained because one of the downsides of some of the other books that are quite great that we've mentioned on this podcast is that you can finish them and feel quite depressed about the state of the world and how on earth you're ever going to help somebody uh, or yourself. Now, um, Wide in the Window is a much more, I, I found it was a much more informative but also proactive book and I think that we try really hard to empower people to take you know control of the tools that will influence their health and their specific needs and so I feel like this book was much more aligned with that Um, so our friend knows who she is so thank you for that the other one is the nocturnal brain Nightmares, Neuroscience, and the Secret World of Sleep. Now, as somebody who has struggled with sleep, I have done a lot of reading and on it, and um, there have been, well, a lot more books <laughs> written on sleep a lately, lot. which is great because we are starting to understand it more. Uh, this is really interesting because it's looking at uh, the, well, we just spoke about don't go to the extremes, but this is uh, this is a series of case studies um, from the author, and... And they're all about extreme sleep disorders. But in this case, you can also learn from these extreme sleep disorders. And um, it's, it's really fascinating. Neuroscience is something that fascinates me. I feel like if I came back for another round of life, I would try to go into that discipline. <laughs> but for now, I'll just read about it and read about the findings from others. So if, if you find that sleep is interesting, and even if it's something that's plagued you, uh, or sorry, the lack of it has plagued you, I would definitely recommend the book, The Nocturnal Brain, and uh, the subtitle is Nightmares, Neuroscience, and the Secret World of Sleep. I'm excited to get into that one after you. And finally, I guess we'll wrap up uh, just a quick summary. I guess the final message here is you don't have to transform by way of weight loss in the new year. Uh, It's not something that's necessary. Again, if weight loss is something you feel you should do, dig into the reasons behind that. And in that process, kind of check your confirmation biases, um, check your polarity, because that doesn't lead to great outcomes. And on our blog, you can check out the five pillars. Um, we have a, an article up on there a long time ago. It's been on there. Five articles years. on it. Oh, five Six. articles. Oh, yeah, because we Six. broke them all down. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of aspects to health that you can focus on that have absolutely nothing to do with gravitational pull. Um, and that, that will carry a huge impact for your general overall well-being and that day-to-day joy that we spoke about on the podcast. So I think that's all for me. That's all for Freya. And uh, as always, you can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram, uh, move underscore daily underscore EDS. Uh, and you can give us a like, uh, subscribe anywhere that you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and the like. So thank you so much for tuning into a, the Move Daily Health podcast today. And we'll catch you next time, whenever that may be. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.